Hey everybody, my name is Alex and welcome to Lunchbox Radio. So, I, the first thing I want to do is apologize for last week's episode. It went up a little late because there was some upload problems, there was some kinks in the wire. I um, swiftly stamped them out with my foot, hopefully. And if all goes well, you'll be hearing this in time. It'll be out. I mean, it's usually out by the time you list, by the time you're looking for it. But I just wanted to make sure that you knew if you went looking for it at the usual time, which is right around ten thirty at night on Thursday, um, it was not there because uh, I, life hates me, technology is evil. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Just the world conspired against me in terms of getting my podcast out on time that day. Um, also, I apologize for any background noise. My roommate is watching TV. But um, uh, thank you if you listened to the Dark and Black episode. If you missed it because of the late arrival or what have you, um, you can go and check that out in the feed. It was the last one. It was uh, interesting to talk about that show and go back to that show because I it's it's an interesting idea for a show and it is this wholly weird original concept that is not like what we'll talk be talking about this episode, which if you don't know by the um title, we'll get to that in a second. But it's just like Dark in the Black is just a weird it's like a thought experiment in animation form, which I appreciate. Um, but thanks so much for listening to it. And on that note, the re- I want to jump kind of straight into this because this might take a while. <laughs> um, and what we will be talking about today is a little show called... Gundam UC or Gundam Unicorn. Now, a lot of you have probably 
uh, noticed, if you've been listening to the show for a while, at least since, I think it was last Christmas, that I've talked about Gundam before. And if you've listened to me for longer than that, back when I used to do a podcast with my friend Lauren, who I'm duty-bound to say, Hi, Lauren, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> you'll, you will also know that I did a podcast on that on that little sabbatical podcast on G Gundam, which, believe me, we'll get back to G Gundam. But because of the way Gundam is, I'm kind of giving myself free roam to talk about just Danny Gundam because, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of it. There's a lot more than I've seen, and it's just this big ep- space opera operatic epic thing and since i've been spending a lot of time in space lately because i confined myself to my quarters and watched and basically allowed myself to watch nothing but gundam until i was done with gundam unicorn um my reprieve from that was playing a little game called starlink battle for atlas which for those of you who don't know about that game I, since I have a Switch, I it's, it's the closest thing on Switch to No Man's Sky, and No Man's Sky is like a weird quasi-space adventure thing, but uh, Battle for Atlas is nonetheless more story-focused, but it, it, it's like a... It, it's like a relaxing ride through space with occasional gunfights. Which I'm I'm all into. Um, so yeah, I've been spending a lot of time like in like like with my brain in this outer space somehow. And that certainly pertains to Gundam Unicorn. Now before we get into Gundam Unicorn proper, I feel like I need to give Anyone listening who hasn't um, watched any Gundam before, because there are people who's like, oh, that thing looks insane, and there's lots of robots and punching, and there's a blonde dude. Um, I want to give them a little primer, and it will probably help for people who know something about Gundam too, because most people don't know everything about Gundam, and if you do, what how? How much of your life have you spent learning about Gundam? Be honest. Um, But, so... Gundam is kind of one of the pinnacles of anime. It it debuted in what is considered to be the golden age of... The end of the golden age of anime. um, Which is, I believe, 1998... 1989, which is the year I was born. Um, Yes, I'm old, but then Gundam kind of took on this, like, weird life of its own because it it has an underlining philosophy that war is bad. Have you heard war is bad? Because war is bad. But as it's kind of grown up and, like, morphed and changed, it, it not only has the attitude that war is bad, but that while war is bad, there are no good guys or bad guys. They do a good
good job of using the framing of war with giant robots involved on both sides to create these character moments and these epic rivalries and that leads to some rules about the Gundam universe. Um, now, there are two kinds of Gundam. There are... <laughs> well, you have your A Gundam, your B Gundam. No. Um, you have your core Gundam story, which is often referred to as the UC timeline or the Universal Century timeline. And then you have your kind of like different Gundam, you're, what people refer to as the non-UC Gundam. An idea of um, a non-UC Gundam show is something like Double O or like um, Gundam or like SD Gundam, if you know what I'm talking about, then you know that I'm deeply insane because I've seen that show. It was on Toonami, but I've still seen that show. Um... Or G Gundam, or um, there are other ones, but non UC Gundams are Gundams that don't try to exist in any kind of timeline or trapping. Um, but the UC Gundam, the Universal Century Gundam, follow a very specific timeline, and they're very, very specific characters that kind of go through that timeline completely and that you encounter um, in that timeline. So, also, there are very specific rules to what happened in a UC Gundam series. So, generally in... Um, oh, yeah, also another a huge example of non-UC Gundam is... Two huge examples are Gundam Wing, which started the Sexy Gundam Boys craze, which if you want to know more about that, you can listen to my episode of Gundam Wing, but you can also go hilarious you can go watch hilariously Bennett the Sage his episode about Gundam Wing that he did roughly the same time at the same time for roughly the same reason, <laughs> which is Gundam Wing is kind of a Christmas movie. So, he, both of us covered that at the same time, and I reached out to him on Twitter, I'm like, your review is probably so much better than mine. He's like, ah, don't tell yourself short. Yours is okay. I'm like, thank you. Um, but, um, so, the, things like, some of the big tentpole Gundams, like Gundam Wing, Gundam Seed, Double O, um, G Gundam are non-UC Gundam, meaning that they exist in their own universe, they have their own rules, they have their own, like, trappings. But then there's the Universal Century timeline, which usually involves pitting one character who does not want to fight, like, against... A character against char a character or characters who attempt to force him to fight for their end goals, and oftentimes that character, that character, the antagonist character, the character named Char Osnable, 
And I know this is starting to sound like a history lesson, and it kind of is, but bear with me because it gets fun in a couple minutes. Because, um, oh, also, I've also done a, a podcast on I'm on Gundam on Gundam Iron Blood Orphans, which I'm not sure if that's that might be like a weird middle ground Gundam because it supposedly exists like hundreds of years, like four hundred years after the like end of the Universal Century. So it might be considered UT, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but everybody's fucking dead. But everybody from the UC is fucking dead in that show, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but they reference, like, the UC wars and shit, so, yeah. But, one of the things that, if you've seen Iron Blood Orphans, which was a really popular show, um, and actually only ended, I believe, last year, it only completed last year, um... One of the things that you will have realized is that Gundam has an odd tradition, has a strange tradition of naming its characters really fucking weird things. So you have in um, Iron Blood Orphans, you have a character named Biscuit. You have a character named, um, you have two characters named Cookie and Cracker. I'm not kidding. Um, but then you also have characters like, um, named totally normal names and named, like, European and American names. So it's like, it's we, so it's like if we all went into space and had fights, but we were fighting alongside, like, the children of people who were named by, like, pop stars and famous people, and so it's just like, oh, hello, Apple. Like, what, what, what's happening? But, so, Gundam has that tradition, and in full swing, um, there is a character in UC Gundam named Full Frontal. It's supposed to be, like, Full Frontal Assault, but everybody always... <laughs> Thinks of it as full frontal, like nudist flasher, almost. At least that's how I think of it in my head. Of him just like lunging towards people, ripping open a trent, a red trench coat, be like full frontal. Um, which it's it just it's. It helps. The, the one thing that the goofy names do help, and we'll get into why this help, why this is in a minute, is these stories tend to be off. The Gundam UC stories specifically tend to be awfully, awfully melodramatic. And they tend to like, drag on. And some of the things that save you from the craziness is that there are just characters named Full Frontal. Like in Gundam 00, there was a character named Lock On. Um, the, the main character of, Gu of Gundam 00 is named Menager Lynx. Uh, there was another, there was a third one. The other blonde dude. 
Um, but so like you'll have these like deep, meaningful moments of like mech pilots fighting each other, and then just like full frontal will show up, and somebody will just stare straight into the camera menacingly and be like, "Full frontal has arrived." <laughs> just goofy, and it's kind of the best. I, seriously, it's kind of the best. But, so, Full Frontal in Gundam Unicorn is kind of the Char character. And then there's always a character in the mold of someone like Amal Ray, or um, Ray, Am I forget how to say his name, but he's the, he's the original Gundam pilot from the UC. Like, in the first Gundam, um, Amal Ray is the first pilot, but I think that's his name. I think that's his name. Let's go with Amal Ray. Um, and then there is always a princess. And, um, in, in UC, I forget who it is in, I forget who it is in, the original Gundam, but in UC Gundam, it's um, a character who goes by two names. One name is Audrey, the other name is Mineva Zabi. And somewhere, the overall like fighting is pitched between two different sides. One side is called the Principality of Zeon, and one side is called the Federation. And at this point, it's helpful to think of it as the Federation being, like, the Allies and the, and Zeon being the Axis, or even better, the Federation being... And I'm giving you these comparisons because this is really how the show pushes it. Um... Or, and actually, the even better scenario is almost the Federation being the Union and Zeon being the Confederacy. And before you freak out at me, the reason why I say that is because the show pitches, the first pitch of the show is always look at the Zeon people. They're these like, impen they're like impenetrable almost Nazi-like in their, in everything from their design to their rhetoric to their actions. And, like, they have this, they have this salute that is Zeke Vion, which just sounds so much like Hail Hitler. Just so much like it. It's like, part of, like, part of me is like, you know you're half black, right? <laughs> These people would come after you. Um, and so that's how the show pitches it initially. But then what it does, and it does it really in, to serious effect and to meaningful effect for the first time I've ever experienced in, in Gundam Unicorn, is it personalizes both sides. So it immediately shows you how kind of the interior life of the characters on the Federation side. But the, 
unique thing about Gundam Unicorn is that it shows you the in, the internal life of both sides. It does that on the on the um, Federation side by the opening of the show. You open on a Federation in like a Federation school building, and you experience that. And then later on in the show, you experience life as in as part of the Zeon Empire, or what you the show comes to call the Space Noids. And this is one of the things that's interesting about Gundam, and I don't think that it was... I think that it was sought out at first, but I don't think it was initially sought out by um, the... I don't think it was as sought out as it could have been by the first Gundam. Um directed by Yoshiaki Tomino, the the crazy man himself, um, who is literally famous for directing Gundam and then being insane. <laughs> but, um, basically, what Gundam, what the conflict of Gundam stems from, primarily, is the fact that what happens when not only does human what happens after humanity has reached for the stars and exists and and the world and the world of humanity expands beyond Earth. And what I mean by that is in all Gundams there are a class of people that are in this case called the space noids. And that means people who were born in space and have never experienced Earth. Have never experienced anything other than artificial gravity and the or living in space. Now that I think it's in um Gundam Double O that they have a like bone density thing. <laughs> Was it like our bones are like less dense because we live in space with no appreciable actual gravity, so we have issues if we spend too long on Earth. Um, that's not explored here, but the thing in all of Gundam, and actually most of Gundam, is that one side of the equation is unbalanced. So what that means is that either the people on Earth or the people in space are not listened to. Or are not listened to or are not considered to have a valid right to govern themselves, basically. And that leads to what they refer to in the Gundam Universal Century timeline as the One Year War. And I promise the history lesson is almost done. But, 20, 21 fucking minutes into this thing, um, the One Year War basically ends with Char dropping a whole space colony onto the Earth, and fucking up the Earth. And all sorts of stuff happens before and after that. It's all chronicled. You can go fucking watch it all somehow, I'm sure. Actually, I know how you can go watch most of it. 
most of it you can go watch on a YouTube channel because Gundam is just Bandai got sick of people pirating Gundam, so they're like, here to take out take all the stuff we're done making money on. Um, but you can go watch a lot of Gundam. I'm not sure how much Gundam, but you can go watch a lot of Gundam in most places. I don't think Florida, weirdly enough, because I gave this to Daryl Surratt, and he was like, yo, I see a bunch of stuff, but not the thing you told me was here. And I'm like, I swear it's there. But he, when he clicked on the thing, it denied him the right to watch it. So that led to a Twitter fight. But um, I basically... You can go to a YouTube channel called Gundam.info, and they have most of Gundam up there. But, so, long story short, because I'm done with giving history lessons on this fucking thing. Um, the one you wore, what happened because Char Aznable, like... Helming Neo, held Helming Leon, and then Neo Leon tried to uh, attack the Federation and tried to win independence for the space noise, meaning the people who have only ever known life in space because they aren't considered they they are an afterthought in terms of the Federation government, meaning that the Federation takes, gives first priority to people who are living on Earth, but gives very little attention to people who are living in space and how people who are living in space deal with things. So, just because the world is insane, let's use a thought process here. Let's say that the people on, on Earth make a product that the people in space buy, like food, like some sort of food, the trade, the trade rate there would favor the people on Earth, not the people in space. Hence, we want some rights to negotiate this stuff. We want to govern ourselves. We want to be part of the government officially. Yeah, yeah. On guard. And the, and this is where the, like, them being a bad person, them being bad actors, falls apart. Because, and they make it very clear in Gundam Unicorn that most of the human faces in a war or in, or on the side, on either side of a conflict are not fighting. The People who are fighting are, like, the the military part of it. But then there are whole other sections of people, like another population's worth of people, who are not fighting a war. So, let's say that amount on the Neo Zeon, on the Zeon side is 4 million people. The 4 million people... Uh, Stay with Dion. Stay with Dion because they are living out in space, and they need to have the right to govern themselves. They 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 are fighting for democracy. And when you look at it that way, the Federation starts to look different. 
And in the original in the original conflict between Amare and Char, you understood what Char was trying to do, but you never felt like he wasn't the bad guy. You never felt like there was anything so redeeming about him that he was worth listening to and worth understanding. In the case of Full Frontal, who is, let's be clear, uh, I don't want to say he's overweight, but he's not, like, rail thin. I, he is a healthy-looking white guy with insane blonde hair who has a god complex. And if that sounds familiar to you, then congratulations. Welcome to 2018, and welcome to America. God damn it. <laughs> but, um... Gundam Unicorn does a great job of giving... Full frontal slash char, because it, it suggested all up and down this motherfucking show that he is char... He is actually char admiral somehow propelled hundreds of years into the future or some bullshit. Um, but the thing that gives that character legs in a way that Char never had is that they present you constantly with the idea that the Federation is, has done bad and had done bad things, has destroyed the intention for the inhabitants of space to have a fair say, simply so they can control everything. And simply so, basically, a few rich, white fucking men, old, rich, white, old assholes, can control not just the government, but basically the entire universe. Now, this is important because of our of our kind of two leads. Um, there's Menager Lynx, who unwittingly becomes the pilot of the Unicorn Gundam. Who and the reason why he does that is to help a character who he refers to as Audrey but in actuality is Princess Maneva Zabi. And Zabi, the Zabi Empire is the precursor to the Zeon Empire, and they started the Zeon Empire, so she is... She, she, she is a princess of one of the bad guys. But what they're trying to... But what she's trying to do, and what um, Menager is trying to help her with, is preventing is to get is to prevent and to get to prevent anyone else from getting and to get a object called Laplace's box. And Laplace's box is this like mystical fucking thing that exists somewhere in space. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows where it is. But it, they know that the people who preside over it, who technically own it, are a family called the Vist Foundation. 
And to give you an idea, this is another rule that lots of Gundam shows have. And that is the idea of this middle entity. This entity that is somehow powerful enough to resist the pull of either side of whatever war is happening. And in this case, those people are the Vist Foundation. And the Vist Foundation are basically space oligarchs who have insane amounts of money and influence, because that never goes away. And it all stems from this box they have, Laplace's box. And you find out later that Menager is the illegitimate son of Cardius Vist, the the head of the Vist Foundation and the family when he at the beginning of the show before he dies. So Cardius gives him the Unicorn Gundam and sets up the weird conflict that happens throughout the show. But, and here's where, here's where Lots of Gundam annoys me, is that, they never quite write a show, G Gundam came close actually, where the lead character is not either a like, raging sociopath ready to murder on the on behalf of anybody who tells him to as long as it's in the name of good or a like Shinji Akari-esque whining wimp. And that's true of Jigan of um now um Domon is he he has like a thing for vengeance and they work it out differently so He's not quite killing anybody um, most of the time. But in this show, Menager is like... He, just so, he is so resistant to the idea that anybody has to die for... Or, or people have to fight. And he, he's constantly asking. And this is actually important in this show. It's just the way they did it drives you a little nuts. Like, why does everybody have to fight? Why is war the only thing the only thing in people's brains constantly? And this is where we approach another vital point of Gundam, and that is that Gundam always says war is bad, but it often says but often also says war is frivolous frivolous. So, and it does that two ways. It does that usually with the end where it it clearly maps out the way that this could have gone, but didn't because human beings are morons. Actually, it does it in three ways. So it does it that way. It has multiple characters tell you that humans are irredeemable assholes who will always try to murder each other. Like, that is a constant dream of thought in the show. Um, in Gundam Unicorn, they have a weird obsession with, like, we fucked up the Earth permanently, kind of. And we don't know how we're going to get it back, but we fucked up the Earth. Um, but... 
and Gundam and most Gundams they point out over and over and over and over again not by telling you but by like demonstrating it out through the plot which is kind of ingenious usually that there's really no reason for any of this shit to happen that all of the shit that's happening it, it could could be stopped if somebody just stops and tries to talk to each other, or somebody stops and gets out of the fucking robot suit and just says, hey, get out of your suit. We're going for a donut. We're going to figure this shit out. Instead of hanging out in robot shoots and laser-sorting each other. And there exists a kind of centuries-old grandfather hatred and lots of the characters of this show that feels very real and feels very understandable. But what... What the show do, does effectively with this stuff is, I think it... It shows you purposefully that the people who act on that hatred are are weak. It, it's not it's not because they're not good people that they act on that hatred. It's not because they're not it's not because they're not human anymore. It's because it's precisely because they have this weakness, this this humanity that was ripped from them somehow. Um there's a character in the show who lost his wife and daughter to a um fed to a federation raid on his home on his city where they went raping, pillaging and killing through the entire city and killed every la killed and raped every last woman and ch woman and child and person basically who was not who who was there at the time and he came back to his wife and daughter dead. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of a person to forgive people who did that. It takes a lot of... It takes not just a good person, but a truly... A truly... A truly good person, I guess is the best way I can put it, to forgive to forgive that kind of action, even if it's not the even if you because even if you find the person who did that, it's not just the person who did that. It's the peop it's the people who who allowed that to happen. It's the whole op system opposite to you. If you want. If you want a great weird um, book you can read or listen to that demonstrates this, um, you can go read a book called *The United States of Japan*, which is also a book that kind of centers around giant robots and what it. And spoiler alert for the United States of Japan. So if you're reading the book or you 
already want to read the book, um, maybe skip over the next couple minutes or so. But um, I'll make it short. Um, but basically, the United States of Japan does the first book gives you this kind of parable about this kid who lost his parents due to the Japanese soldiers and the, the rough the rough sketch of the book is that the World War II went the other way Ger Germany and Japan got rights to America and carved it up and Japan got like most of the western seaboard of Japan of America and Germany got the eastern seaboard. So um the United States Japan is like California, all the western states basically. And but in this book, um the main character Ben is an officer in the USJ military. Um but by the end of the book you find out that the big kind of linchpin part of the book that begins the book, um, a little video game called the United States of America that envisions America as it could have been, as it is now, was designed and built from the ground up because of him, because he had this lasting hatred for the United States of Japan for the Japanese Empire because they killed his parents. And the book ends with him dying, but it also ends with you, the, the reader or the audience, knowing that he carried this hatred with him throughout the entire book and throughout his entire, his entire life, his entire internal life that you don't haven't even read about, and he created this thing in defiance of even the thing that he worked in. So, and the the second book kind of ruins it because it it plays it straight in the same universe, which is really kind of disappointing. It 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 almost gets to like the internal conflict, and every time it does that, it kind of turns tail and faces the wall, which is unfortunate. But it, both of them are good books, but I would recommend the first one if you want to understand kind of like the generational hatred concept. But in Gundam, the generational hatred is so deep that only people who are like who can see so much beyond, who can see so much farther beyond themselves, can really overcome it. And there are multiple scenes in the book, in the, um, in the show, where you see people struggling with it, and you see them struggling with those, with that generational path down hatred lose to it, and they lose to it either to their death or their own fault. And, um, Ensign Reddy, Ensign Reddy is the, is the character who really demonstrates this, and he is this kind of, like, 
he is another tradition in the Gundam universe of having a kind of false antagonist. Of having an antagonist who is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a good guy led astray. And they have a couple of these in... They have... But they have, let's say, two of these in Gundam Unicorn. One is um, Marita Cruz, who later clearly becomes a good guy. And another is um, Ensign Reddy, who, uh, by the end of the series, is piloting the second Gundam, the second Gundam frame. Um, and it's interesting because with Ensign Re with Ensign Reddy, they have him out loud work through the hatreds of the past and once you hear it all laid out and once you hear his com his conversation basically to himself but also to the audience and lots of ex expositing upon the audience's available ear um about things but once you hear him lay it out all out, you realize that this is a show primarily about the generations of the future dealing with the mistakes and the shortcomings and the hatreds of the generations of the past. And with um, Marita Cruz, you see her basically sacrifice herself to push people into to push people into the future and ensign ready comes comes to the conclusion that he wants to help menager and audrey get there and in ensign ready's case he because he was a kind of naive eighth pilot from a rich family, he fell for the like beautiful princess, and he tried to force a he tried to force a marriage, and she was like, "That's bullshit. I would just be your hostage for the rest of my life, and nothing would happen." I, I'm I'm here to get shit done, motherfucker. Um, is basically what she said to him. But he comes to the conclusion that he wants to be part of the new world instead of continuing down the path of what came before. And this all basically, this whole show boils down to the fact that Laplace's box ends up being basically a con uh, a copy of the space constitution. But um, so imagine this: imagine that there's a constitution without. I think it's the thirteenth. I think it's either the thirteenth or fourteenth amendment that um guarantees 
Oh, I think it's the 13th Amendment that um, guarantees that ends slavery, that outright ends slavery. Let's say that that was added to the Constitution. But then as it was, after it was added, after it was written in private in, like, the chambers, somebody came in and literally blew up the chamber with a bomb, which I know is awfully graphic considering America and now. And we have bomb threats everywhere. Fuck. Um, but imagine somebody just wiped that version of the Constitution off the, off the map. And all of a sudden, there was no 13th Amendment. The idea was, the idea was given that there was no 13th Amendment, and slavery still happened. And slavery just continued on forever. Now let's um let's for a second imagine that. But let's also imagine that there was a copy of the original of the original um constitution with the 13th amendment on it. And that was found and presented as credibly as humanly possible no one could deny it. Then America, all of America, would have to deal with the reality that slavery was supposed to have ended. The black people who were slaves, me in fact, would, ha would realize that they were supposed to be free. The world would transform. And that is what happens when they finally get to you at the end of the show, the last, like, one episode, because these episodes are anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half each because I'm insane, and I'm like, I can watch this in three days? I barely did. Um, but th that would upend the government in America if that if that happened in that way because you would presumably have a whole host of people intent on keeping slavery going and they would have if not known about it they would have somehow been involved in the orchestrating of keeping that amendment off the off the books as it were and this uh, the Laplace's box, the thing, the like goal of the show, gives the space noise, meaning the people who are born in space and have never experienced and never truly experienced Earth, the right to take part in the government in a real way, and that's when it becomes clear that. The Federation forces never knew about this. They were just they were fighting because they were told that, that they were fighting because Zeon was attacking. But that all the old men with all the power definitely fucking knew. And there is a whole the so I mentioned the Vith Foundation earlier. They uh, portions of the Fist Foundation have 
by the end of the show, become basically the ultimate bad guys and tried to take the box back, tried to seize control of the box again. So basically they can enjoy a life of pomp and circumstance and grand and total influence over the over the federation and the entire in the entire quote unquote world government which means everybody in space and all that shit but it, it is once but they but here's the thing they don't even know what the fuck's in the box they only know that whoever has the box has power so they try and so those parts of the Vis Foundation try and recapture the box, basically. That's why Ensign Reddy, the like fake the like false bad guy, the false antagonist, gets gets a Gundam model because they give it to him because they're like, okay, go get us the box back, basically. Um and once they once that gets out, once that is put out into the world, the whole world does change. And from that point until the end of the show, there is this feeling that this is the this is the turning point at which the future has drop kit has opened up the airlock and dropped kick the path out of the out of the hangar door, uh, out into space to freeze and die, if that makes any sense. That they are going, that they are going to move, for, that the younger characters of the show, specifically Menager and Audrey, are going to try and move forward as best they know how and try to pursue equality for everyone. Now, once again, if you're living in America right now, we have bomb threats to basically every major Democrat you can think of. Like, Barack Obama, yep. Hillary Clinton, yep. Bill Clinton, yep. Same house, but you get the point. Uh, Eric Holder, yep. George Soros, the, like, Billionaire philanthropist turned, like, liberal political donor. Yep, uh, it's just like and earl and earlier this week we had character. We had and and early and earlier this year, I believe, we had a person go in with a sub with a with an automatic weapon to a pizza shop to find a child sex ring operated by the Clinton Foundation. We we have and this is part of the reason why I kind of chose to do this show. And actually I figured this out in the middle. I'm not gonna claim some kind of great all all knowing this. But the message this show is saying about politics about government and governance is very similar to what's happening now. Is and what what it's saying about people's effects on 
about the past effects on the future and people in, who live in the past who try to keep the, all the trappings the same going into the future. Lots of people who describe the president, Donald Trump, as the baby boomer supernova, if you will, as the last gasp of the old world. And lots of people would describe the way that things are happening now as, including me, I would note, and I'm sorry if this is more political than you used to out of me, but bomb threats, yo. Um, also, how can I say this? If you're gonna watch Gundam, you're gonna watch a show that's about a lot of politics. So it's kind of unavoidable. And you're gonna watch a show that was, pro that was produced many times explicitly touting a certain kind of politics. Like, trying to espouse usually very liberal ideas. So, this comes with the territory. It's not abnormal. <laughs> but, the bomb threats, the, like, automatic weapons at pizza parlors, the, the MAGA hats, all of that stuff. All of that stuff is a resistance to change. It is what it looks like when one group who has always had power is afraid that they're losing power. And that doesn't mean that all of those people are bad. That means that all, but that doesn't mean that all of those people are scared. And in terms of Zeon, why I would call Zeon the um the the Axis powers is many of the people in World War Two who are part of the Axis powers were not fighting like you know the the Nazis were famously like they took over Germany they were not necessarily. The absolute the whole of Germany, but they were the majority. They were the majority enough, and they claim and they claim to have enough power, so that the average German didn't do anything about it, and thought that they were. And in fact, the average German was helped was helped by that because because of the Nazis. Germany was the first to leave the Great Depression. So, and the Nazis fought in the name of Germany, as idiotic as the way they did it was. They tried to advance Germany in the world. And Germany has spent the rest of its existence deeply and mournfully apologizing for it. And if there is another Universal Century thing in the Gundam universe, it'll be interesting to see how the thing of Zeon is treated by people who technically lived under Zeon because it, it, 
they've got a lot to answer for. And yes, like, you know, yeah, but also, yes, Germany was terrible and had to be stopped. They were monsters. But we dropped, but we, uh, but America, the Allies, are responsible for the only use of a nuclear weapon in human history. So, you know, no clean hands anywhere. Uh, and the but what what germany was doing and what is happening right now politically in america and what's happening politically in this show is the terror that change wreaks it is the fear that real change that real meaningful change in the world inspires in people who were not just served well by the old guard, but were served perfectly. Uh, and this happened in the Civil War too. Now, the the thing the thing about Gundam is no good guy, bad guy thing is perfect, especially in Gundam Unicorn because. There's bits of each in each. So yes, in look and effect, the Zeon side is most like the Confederacy and the um, Union and the, um, what's it called, the other side, the Federation side is most like the Union. But in actuality, the people who operate the levers of power in the Confederacy are most like the levers uh, 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 of power in the um what's it called in the Federation side are most like the Confederacy, and the people who operate the levers of power in the Neon side are most like the Union. So they kind of like do a weird twisty tie move with the metaphors. But the show also makes, and they use Menager for this per kind of perfectly. They make the point that none of this should have ever led to war. That there was a way that this could have always been. Avoided that all that everything, including from the one year war to the conflicts of Gundam Unicorn, could have all been avoided. And that's what's ultimately really interesting about Gundam Unicorn, and the reason why it makes this kind of it, it makes a kind of perfect crescendo almost to Gundam, which make sense because in it it is a anniversary celebration piece for Gundam, which if you know anything about anime, you know that long running shows that much beloved shows often get these anniversary projects and Gundam was pitched as like this anniversary project. You see you see 
later on in the show, you see images of some of of other Gundams throughout time, and like it's almost like a kind of like in context slideshow in a weird way. <laughs> but um, the 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 effect is lessened by the fact that it's a anniversary piece. So I I just and I just want to talk about it because I got um and this is might not be the only Universal Century Gundam I talk about um but I mean there is always the like twenty four episode long let's play nuclear let's play full tackle nuclear football in, in Gundams section of the U, of the UC timeline which even as I say it sounds goofy as fuck. Um, but the, <laughs> I can't believe I described that that way. I think it's like 0087 or something, but it's basically like somebody, I think Char steals a nuclear Gundam and Ray, and Ray Amano had to go get the Gundam back from him in his Gundam. And it's, it's a lot of Gundam in that one. It's bizarre. Um, I think that was my first experience with Gundam. Um, but, uh, so I might, um, I might, or may, or probably will cover another Universal Century thing, or if not that, another Gundam, like I said, I'm gonna get me to some G Gundam, because, just because, just because, if you haven't seen G Gundam, just because, um, but... I, I, after watching this, I'm glad I did it in the way that I did it, because I think that this is an important, this is an important demonstration of the concept of the, and I've talked about, I forget what episode I talked about this in, but the con, there's a, an important demonstration of the concept of this, Sins of the past reaching out and trying to hold the future back. And what that can result in. What that... What the sparks in that struggle can turn into. And it's just... It's all... And it's all like lofty... Insane robot battles. But I still think that it's filled with important lessons about how we should be to each other and what it means to hate someone and what war really is and what the people on the opposite end of on the opposite side from you could be like because if it looks like a human it smells like a human it talks like a human it must be a human that that must have been human at some point. What got that human to a point where you think that they're a monster? And it's really important to ask those questions. And I think I think Gundam Unicorn encourages people to ask, "What happened to you? What did people? What did other people do to you along the way to make you into?" A person who hates me, or who I can hate, 
because whatever it is, it's not worth it. And on that note, on that depressing fucking note, there's been a lot of bad news in the in in on the on the TV lately. But on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. If you like this episode, please go and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. I promise this episode there will be a link in the description of this podcast where you can go and you can do that. You can also, if you like this episode, leave me a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choices review system, whatever that is. Um, write a little good thing what you like, what you don't like about the show. Give me a rating, whatever you think is fair. I'm hoping five stars. But also, um, on that page, if you want to like give me a monthly tip, you can. I'm not saying you should, but you can. You can. I'm just putting it out there. Um, but until then, I, un- until our next episode, I will talk to you later. Roaring to the